0: Hello, and welcome to another installment of TAFcast, where we lift the UniStaff curtain, giving you a backstage pass to explore the inner workings of United Task Force, as well as keeping you up to date on any recent and upcoming changes. Today, we'll be announcing forthcoming campaigns, taking a closer look at the annual survey, and discussing mission development and Zeusing. I'm 0 I'm joined today, as always, by fellow staff members Ben and James, and we're also happy to be joined today by our special guest, Matt Jamco. Welcome, guys. Hello. Hello, Let's dive into a quick retrospective over the month of February, we welcomed 31 new members and awarded 55 promotions above the rank of candidate. We deployed a total of 32 times with a massive 678 attendees, which is up by 52 compared to last month. And those deployments were rated an average of 86.7%. Speaking of stats, At the start of the year, we had our annual survey and across many topics, including uh, overall happiness with the group and the helpfulness of the general leadership, we saw an increase in positive responses. Um, And of course, if you guys want to discuss any specific questions that were in the survey, we can. But uh, one that I found quite interesting was the significant increases in the areas of experience and progression in terms of what people set out to do when they joined UNITAF. So that would be interesting, maybe to discuss uh, why we think there's been such a significant change there, and uh, what changes we've made that have led to to that increase, and whether that's something either we plan to, or or just by the changes that we'll be implementing over the next year, we'll um, you know, we'll we'll see further increases in in that area. I think that what
1: what's the, do you know the word, exact word in that question? I think it was the. Do, do you uh, trying to think the exact word in the question? I'm not sure if you've got it. Uh, I don't have
0: it open but I believe so one of them was uh, have you achieved what you set out to achieve yeah when you joined UNITAF Um, and I believe the other one is um, do you understand what you need to do in order to achieve what
1: you've set out to achieve and both of those are a really marked increase yeah so I think one of those things is one of the most important things about the survey is it's like long stretch approach to making decisions and on a day-to-day basis people can sort of. Um, you know, maybe they don't like certain aspects of the of the system, but as a whole, like we try and make big moves with it over a long period of time. And I think the last annual survey, we take t- twenty nineteen, we probably were either still using the check system or we were just coming out of it, moving to the tier system. Um, and I think what we've maybe done over the last twelve months, I guess, is give all of the information and the tools for those systems to two people through their dossier profiles and stuff so people know exactly what they have to do and they understand how the system works rather than it sort of be you know a little bit undercover and you maybe just find out when you get promoted or when your tier goes up or whatever so I think obviously we saw that in the survey of 2019 and over the course of a literal 12 months we've made gradual changes to that system I mean literally now automating pretty much all of it as well so that probably has a contributing factor towards it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I I wonder as well if there if there's been a uh, sort of marked increase in the communications in troops as well, which has which has helped uh, with you know having more more sort of NCOs that are in direct line, uh, you know, direct communications with the guys under them and and sort of helping them out and uh, pointing them in the right direction and uh, getting them on the the FTXs that they need to be on.
1: Yeah, and, and I think. In terms of progression, it can, it's not just the tier systems. I mean, progression could come in a whole host of ways. You know, someone might join and they and they want to do something really specific, and it may just be that you know we don't have the scope or the capacity for for that. You know, obviously, piloting is one of those things which is generally quite competitive, and to some extent, even the case with leadership sometimes. So, that certainly wasn't a perfect score on this survey this year. But it, I think what we're saying is it's remarkably improved from from the same survey in 2019 uh, which is good because we aimed to improve it and and I guess we did and obviously anyone interested in the results will be able to see them in the uh, in the survey
0: yeah absolutely I think, I think one of the one of the really um cool things about looking at the survey um if if any of you listening do to take a more detailed look is that um in some of the areas there's not so the way it's broken down is is sort of like strongly agree agree neither agree or disagree, you know, disagree, strongly disagree. Um, and there is where, as last year, there were quite a lot of people that were perhaps sitting on the fence. There's now a lot more people that are, are, are sort of agreeing, um, maybe not uh, a, a marked improvement on the strongly agree, but a lot of people have come from being not entirely sure uh, about certain areas, you know, neither agreeing or disagreeing and, and solidly moving into the agreement uh, category, which, which yeah, definitely shows that we're, you know, moving in the right direction.
1: Yeah, it obviously doesn't mean people agree wholeheartedly with the system, and there's obviously a lot of changes in the pipeline as well. But just from new member inductions and stuff, it's quite common actually after an induction that somebody that's like either new to MILSIM or they've done or they've been in similar groups over the course of the years, and then they see our system. If you sort of say at the end, have you know, got any questions, a lot of them will just say, actually, you know, actually, you know what, that makes a whole lot of sense. Um, and it's obviously not something that we've copied from anywhere. It's um, the sort of sum of ideas of all of the people either in the org coc or through suggestions so that's always good to hear
0: yeah definitely and it's uh like we said last time you know it's a it's a constant work in progress isn't it and uh, you know getting feedback and and learning from from our mistakes and from we uh, yeah, have the feedback that people give us we can you know we can only really uh, improve and um, make the experience more enjoyable and more more beneficial to as many people as possible uh, one of the other things that was uh, mentioned a few times in the in the survey, which uh, was the uh, slot allocation. Um, I know that's something that we discussed uh, last time uh, in, in terms of what possible changes we might have, but uh, I think perhaps we should talk a little bit more detail about what people can expect um, going forward in terms of slotting to all bets, because I know we've got some up-and-coming changes um, fairly, uh, fairly shortly.
1: Yeah, so obviously it was a big topic of the last podcast. I think it's fair to say... When the survey results came in, should um, have been end of January time, I think it was. Uh, we've been aware of the issue for, for for quite a few months, but maybe not the scale of of the issue, which is why obviously we came off doing things like the campaign Center and tried to approach this straight away. Obviously, we detailed most of it in the last podcast, so it would probably be best not to go into too much detail. But what people would have seen is a lot more minimum, maximum rank operations. Um, I guess there's no real hard set rule about how they work yet. But what we've seen is that the minimum rank ops sort of stay open for um, for those people. So, so it might be PFC+, plus, for example. And then the day before, if there's still some slots available, we tend to open those out. And the same on the reverse side. So like recruit operations, mac rank, uh, max rank ops, um we've done similar things where if they've not been full, we'll uh turn it around and open it up to more people. Um and that has seemed to work quite well for its purpose, which is to get people to be able to try out slots that maybe they wouldn't always compete for and, and on the min rank op side, um you'd have an environment where some more experienced unit you know, players can, can do some smaller operations uh together. Um so they've worked, you know, quite well. In terms of the wider changes, obviously, the biggest thing we've done this cycle, if you like, between this sit rep and the last one, is introduced a policy for all bats. Um, because one of the things we're conscious of is, as you said, like we've changed the system continuously over two years now. We're coming up on our on our birthday. And so all of the info about it is split between multiple sit reps. So if you wanted to go to, to somewhere to find out, you, you couldn't. So there's now a single place to go for that and it does detail out some of those those things. Um, I think the next thing that people will see is uh, some slightly different all deployment buttons. So on an all release, you'll probably notice and again, obviously, you'll be notified about this so don't worry, it's not happening tomorrow, is that your deployment access time will differ slightly based on certain factors. So, you know, if you've deployed 30 times in the last 30 days and someone's only deployed one, there'll be a slight penalty to your access time. You know, we're talking seconds here. Um, for a 60-man ORBAT, you know, we we all know that a Sunday ORBAT will fill, you know, 50% in the first minute or two minutes. So it's that area that we really want to address. So the ping is still relevant to you, but there's a slight handicap to it. To it. Um, and the same for people that have like reprimand reports or bad rep. You know, So expect to just see some more dynamic timers uh, to try and... Again, it's not, it's not going to affect the tier system because if you're both tier two, you've got a 24-hour window anyway. But what it will do is prioritize those people uh, by giving second penalties or second bonuses based on praise reports, reprimands, uh, how active you are, just to give everyone an equal chance um, when they have the same tier, basically.
0: Okay, is is there anything else in the survey that anybody saw that, that, that they'd quite like to to bring up and and uh, have a a chat about? I think
1: the the, the good thing to see is that I I think there was a mainly an improvement across the board. I, I can't remember scanning through and seeing anything that's that's decreased. No,
2: everything did rise by a, a, a fair percentage. To be fair, um, which is credit to I think everything that we've been doing and putting in place, um, along with, obviously, all the suggestions, which has really helped with that. I
1: was going to say, people, obviously, will be able to see it, won't they? Um, and, I, and I think, to be honest, the majority of the comments and suggestions were around all bats. <laughs> you know, it's the hot topic at the moment, so. Uh, but no, it was a good improvement all around.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I was just, I was just going to say, like, how Although obviously we're not run by, you know, like a council or, or, or like a, you know, like a standard democracy or something, but how, how important feedback is to us and, and, you know, the, the importance of, um, suggestions and, uh, critical feedback is, is to us as, as a, as a smaller group, uh, you know, within, in UNITAF. Although obviously we have a solid vision for what UNITAF is and, and what it is to become, you know, the, the more. There's only so many ideas that, that we can come up with as a as a three, so it's it, it is really good to see see guys, um, you know, getting involved in terms of giving us uh, suggestions and, and feedback that we can actually you know, action and work on to, to improve everybody's experience.
1: Yeah, I'd, uh, I don't want to go off topic, but I think it's an important point, right? Which is, um, um, like we we love to have suggestions, but we're just very careful about which ones we take on board. I was in a recruit FTX the other day. And so it was completely new. I was explaining, you know, sort of how you would get an eight-figure good reference. And they turned around to me and said, um, oh, that's great, but I've got another method that I've used, which is you give the six-figure good reference, and then you say the pre-word numpad, and then a number. And you imagine the keyboard on your numpad, what you're saying was one, two, three, four, five. So if you imagine the numpad in the grid, you would just give the six-figure reference and then say numpad five, and five obviously being the middle of that grid, which I thought was a great way of doing it. And obviously we haven't put it in SOP overnight, but that's just sort of really fresh view. at something that we've done the same way for a long time.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It does, it very much sort of highlights what I, what I just said in, in terms of having having a different set of eyes and a different brain looking at, at the same, you know, the same problem. You can come up with many different solutions to to one problem. Absolutely. All right, so we'll have a look at the sort of in the works, which is where we look at stuff that's in the process of being created um and the things that people can expect uh you know in the next month or so um last podcast we did talk about the uh, or at least we mentioned the merch store i know we don't have a lot of solid answers at the moment but uh it would probably be a good idea just to sort of talk about what we're planning in terms of you know purchasing where that money goes whether it's going to be solid purchases or whether it will be you know some will be rewards um and obviously the one of the most important ones is uh what's actually going to be on offer in, in a merch store
1: yeah so we've i think there's some visuals on discord anyway isn't it um i have seen some floating about yeah me. so at the moment we've got a couple of designs so we've got uh obviously t-shirts um hoodies i think mugs and maybe hats is it i think you know, they're like the four things we've said we'll go with and, and in two principal colors at least They're sort of I guess it was a charcoal grey Ben, I can't remember the exact not not probably a little yeah, bit yeah. like slate grey Yeah. Gray, yeah that. And uh and then obviously an army olive. Um so black on olive and uh, black on grey I think. Or it might be white on grey and it black on olive. We'll put some we'll put some visuals in the syrup. Um and so at the moment what uh, obviously one of our members, so Pete's um uh, partner has uh, does it? So we're just exploring that at the moment to see if we can support obviously people in the unit, Um and I think we've even put some prices, some like estimate prices, because we've obviously looked at going some with the, some of the big services like spreadsheet and stuff, but they are quite costly for the people that are buying it, and um, we're not interested in in profiting out of it in any way. So um, it seems the better value that we can get is obviously quality is there. Then obviously that's what we want to do. So we'll obviously firm that up, but the process will probably be there'll be a channel or something on Discord and people can um, arrange it through there. And obviously, uh, we'll get a load made so we can take pictures of it and stuff like that. But um, obviously, people have been asking for it for ages. We've made a fair bit of progress over December with it. And obviously, it's been a little bit on the back burner. So we'll obviously um, push that forward a little bit. And it probably is something that people will see in in this month. Um, Because I know a lot of people have been asking for it. So hopefully that's uh, another box ticked for those people. Do you do you think there's a potential for us to give away merch
0: for, you know, certain things, perhaps at certain times during the year? Yeah. Or, or will it be a solid sort of, you know, um, you know, be a standard kind of uh, store store?
1: Uh, I think so. Uh, like like I said at the start, it's important to say like we we're not. It's not a donation thing. If you it's just if you want to buy t-shirt or a unit on it, or a mug like buy it it's going to be roughly at cost like we're not making any money out of it um and in in reality it's not going to the server cost or anything like that either um just try and keep the cost as low as possible for people um but yeah i think we have talked in the past about having like some physical awards in some sense so whether that's merch if you like or uh, a unit patch like a, a real unit patch um, I think they're, they're things that we may look at doing. I think even some of the awards, like medals, if you like, on the website are billed to be physical. Obviously, nobody's been given one yet. Um, but I think that's a good
0: idea. Are you sure you sure you don't have a uniform somewhere, James, with all your medals on it? <laughs> I should get one. I don't. I'm going to ask Kevin to sort me one out. Great. All right, let's, uh, let's talk about some of the up-and-coming campaigns that we've got. Uh, so Easter's coming up. Um, I don't have a lot of information about this other than I know that it's going to be an all-tank mission. So if uh, armor is your thing in terms of uh, you know, big engines, big guns, thick armor, then uh, that would be something that would be interested to uh, interesting for you. But in terms of um, long-running campaigns, uh, we've got two new ones that are currently being developed. We've got Operation Aisha, which is a near-future-based campaign that pits the German military forces against the Russian Federation in a bid to defend Finland, and will include a wide variety of content, uh, including uh, special forces missions and uh, large scale combined arms battles. Uh, If you're interested in contributing to the development of that campaign, you can talk to Private B Miller, Uh, send him a message on Discord. The Second campaign that's in the works is Typhoon which is set around a fictional 2016 Russian sponsored military coup of United Sarani uh, and with tensions running to breaking point United States Marines with uh, with support from a strike carrier group will attempt to liberate the peoples of Sarani and eliminate this uh, the threat that this coup poses to the security of the United States uh, and once again if you if you're interested in in helping out with that campaign uh, feel free to reach out to Private First Class Metcus or Corporal Dongworth. Uh, speaking of mission development, we have one of our longest active Zeus's with us today, uh, Matt. So, Matt, I know previously you Zeused in a more public setting, and I'm sure that that differed, you know, in many different ways from the way things are done in UNITAF. But I think perhaps first of all, it would be useful for people to hear you talk about exactly what the role of a mission developer is uh, and what the role of a Zeus is and how they differ from one another?
3: Uh, yeah, so obviously I guess the primary difference being um, the difference between out-of-game and in-game contributions to uh, a mission, uh, whatever mission at hand it be. Um, I think you'll see that obviously we've got, recently we've had a, a lot more uh, people get involved in Zeus, which has been really good, and also the mission dev side, uh, as I mentioned, like Metis and, and such, we've had a probably in between Daish and Brimstone side ups and all sorts. We've had a much more variety, I think. Um, but yeah, I think the difference being obviously um, Zeus is primarily uh, working in game to uh, see the mission developers. Uh, site i guess on that mission um comes for on the day itself
0: yeah almost like um very much how like a, a squad leader or a platoon leader is there to um see the commander's intent of a mission carried out zeus is kind of there to see the mission developers yeah, exactly. uh, intent carried out um
3: i'm going to mission dev side i guess sure. yeah yeah, yeah. Go
0: for
3: it. so uh <clears throat> there's a lot that goes into developing each mission um as you say i've come from uh before, i've had a lot of experience with uh, public zeus as well obviously there's not really much in the way of mission dev in public zeus a lot of it's just uh kind of doing mission dev at the same time as gm so it's nice and units have to have uh have them separated and then have a clear difference between the roles uh obviously with mission dev, you've got uh, uh, uh i mean publicly visible to the rest of the unit you've got uh, the the op ord, the orbit and everything that goes into it and then uh Mission Dev will be making sure that there's a there's a mission found the day, making sure that there's a, a believable story, making sure that there's a working with the field leaders to make sure there's a, an all back that works for us and that uh, we can obviously uh, complete the mission in a satisfactory manner. Yeah,
0: exactly. So it's quite uh it's it's quite a creative creative role, really, isn't it? With within the group, um like in terms of both technical stuff, but also you know pure sort of coming up with. With stories that that people will find interesting and and engaging. Yeah, I think a big part of it is the storytelling side. Um, I think any good
3: mission dev is uh, is interested in sort of the the backstory and the lore that goes into the this this universe that they're creating and that we uh, that we play out uh, soldiers in. Uh, I think uh, with some of these uh, campaigns that we've been seeing come out as well, uh, we've been doing a really good job with it.
0: Yeah, I think it, it's actually a really important thing for for someone. On the ground to feel like the objectives you're achieving and and the overall objectives in an operation mean something, you know that it's not just a a standalone skirmish with with, with a bunch of AI, but but that it that actually has some meaning and it has like some knock on effect for for future missions and and for other players as well. You know that that uh, your performance in in one mission can not necessarily make or break a campaign, but, you know, can have a a significant knock-on effects uh, for other
3: people. Yeah, it's a massive part of the immersion, I think. Uh, I think there's great ways to tie that in as well uh, into gameplay itself uh, that the uh, Zeus's Game Masters can do on the day as well with uh, Intel, HVTs. We've got role players that uh, do an excellent job of um, bringing it alive as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms of... um like where the crossover is between Zeus's and mission developers I mean am I right in saying that usually we have a, a mission developer who, who also Zeus is for those missions to sort of I, sh- I assume like sort of maintain you know the the integrity of the of the campaign I think
3: it's a a good way of personally seeing your vision put forward I think personally I will always GM my own uh, my own sort of mission dev uh, campaigns um i think it's uh, obviously not everyone's the same but for me it's uh i i prefer sort of the, the personal touch and just to have my own hand in actually seeing the the mission out on the day but uh, obviously that's not absolutely required and what with uh with us expanding into different campaigns and having people uh gm missions that uh they've obviously not created the campaign for i think we're having more and more that uh there is a separation of the two roles and that um people can very much sort of feel comfortable uh developing a campaign or chairman a mission that's not necessarily they're doing the other role too
0: yeah absolutely So, in terms in terms of um if you if you could like describe like what what, what is zeus is actually for in unicef like why do we not just you know, have have scripted missions with with uh, enemy units, you know, placed on the field or or that spawn in on triggers and and stuff like that. Like, what? Why is it? What 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 is it that Zeus? You know, having you know three or four active Zeus's on on the battlefield gives us. I think it's.
3: I think a large part of it is flexibility. Um, I mean, uh, not to knock. Obviously, uh, some people make fucking brilliant missions, uh, all scripted and uh, with everything set beforehand, and you can make really uh, really good missions and campaigns that way, but I think uh, I've always found that uh, having the flexibility of a GM and having the ability of a GM to interact with the players uh, makes it feel a lot more alive. And less, I mean, obviously, with a scripted mission, a lot of the time as a player you can tell that it's scripted, um, but uh, I think with GMs it just uh, adds that level uh, of immersion and personal touch to a mission that. Uh, I think in Unitaf we've uh, we've been hitting really well.
0: Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I would totally agree. Um. So in so let's uh let's let's talk for people who who might be interested in you know um trying their hand at, at being a mission developer or or, or, or a Zeus. Um. What what's the what's the actual process like in Unitaf? If if uh, you know, let's let, let's let's uh, focus on mission development first. Like if if you wanted to put together a, a mission for say a pre-existing campaign or you have a campaign idea yourself like what's the actual process that people have to to go through
3: so obviously we've got the uh the j channels we've got a uh, mission making campaigns and such i think uh the most important thing is just to get like an idea of the story and uh, how you want to frame the missions because it's all based on the the world that you're creating and uh, the, the campaign backstory and everything so i think get a, get a solid idea of where you want to, uh, where, what time, uh, what factions you want, um, the op for uh, friendly forces, the style of missions that you want to do. So say, so obviously probably has been uh, very much Spec Ops uh, in contrast to Brimstone, which is a bit more in the way of conventional. Um, I think get a, get a solid idea of how you want to do it and then then uh, proceed to get the mission or campaign uh, into into the Discord so that people can... Uh, have a read, uh, see if it's decent. Uh, once once it's been approved, or once uh, once you've got a mission for a campaign already, um, it's a case of talking to it. If, if you're not the campaign uh, creator, obviously, have a chat with the campaign creator, make sure they're uh, they're all good with it. Um, as far as scheduling missions and getting them into uh, into the schedule itself, obviously, you're gonna need to. If you're not an NCO, you're gonna need to talk to an NCO. Uh, get one of them as a field leader that is able to get in the new scheduler um, and then uh, there's a few obviously there's a few prerequisites that you've got to have. you've got to have a, someone set as a server admin you've got to have obviously the field leader which will be the uh, the leader of the ground teams and then you're gonna have to work with them uh, to create an all-back for the operation um, it's worth noting that obviously uh, the field leader I- at the end of the day is going to be the one that's executing the mission itself so it's worth uh, just making sure that they're very much happy with uh, the mission as a whole uh, the assets that they've got access to and uh, the teams that they've uh, they're going to be given on the day and uh in, in relation to obviously the backstory you, you're not bored, which is uh giving the field leader and everyone else that wants to read uh, a deal of what's going on the day uh, and then get into briefings and uh Get the upload and all that released, obviously mods, uh, for the thing that we saw. Him, but that's a uh, fairly different thing, I guess.
0: Great. Yeah. So I mean, if uh, if there are people listening to this who are interested in in you know trying their hand at, at mission developing, or you know if you're an experienced mission developer but you just haven't haven't done it here, uh, as Matt says, uh, check out the J channels on uh, on Discord and uh, you know make make yourself known make your interest known. In terms of uh, Zoosing, if, if somebody wants to, you know, start Zoosing, uh, what's the best way to, uh, to go about it? You know, is there a specific place that they should uh, make themselves aware or, or people that they should reach out to or are there um, are Zeus FTXs and stuff like that? I think a good place
3: to start is checking out the, on your profile, the, uh, <clears throat> the requested uh, role section. I think it's quite useful for your chain of command to have a look at and See who's interested in uh, in training for and slotting for uh, mission spot rules? Obviously, we've got the uh, we've got a uh, mission makers uh, SCG uh, group now. So uh, I think once you've registered interest into an FDX and uh, had some practice, we'll uh, will get you in that. But uh, yeah, I think getting in as maybe a CevRP uh, AGM. Try and contact one of the. Uh, either field leaders or campaign uh, creators um, for missions that are coming up see if they've got any spare slots for AGM's civil RP it's good uh, good way to get your foot in the door I think Um, it's good to I think get some practice in as AGM as well just to um, have a feel for how we do things uh, from the sky Um, and just note that uh, obviously it always feels very different as as a Zeus than it does on the ground so it's a good it's a good way to uh, get a feel for that difference in a Unitaf mission Um, I think the best way to teach um, sort of how we do uh, GMs in Unitaf is just to get a feel for the pacing Um, it's it's difficult to in a theory FTX for example um, sort of tell someone about the about the attitude and the mindset that goes into into GMing so uh, yeah I think try and get your foot in the door Uh, AGM Civ RP uh, let people know with the roles thing that you're interested.
0: Good stuff. So, are there any questions that you'd like to ask uh, the Unistaff team? To a, a rare opportunity to to get some in, inside information. If if there's anything that you've ever wondered about, or anything you've been curious about, or um, anything you've heard other people be curious about, this is a a good chance to to ask us. Um. <laughs>
3: I think I'd be uh I'd be doing people a disservice if I didn't uh, ask about uh, uh modded missions, campaigns. Um, obviously we do modded already, but uh, I think some people I know have been interested in, uh, for example, uh, Star Wars, Warhammer forty k, um, special missions like that. Maybe I don't know. We've been doing historical missions. I think some people are interested in perhaps doing missions based on on these, and obviously. It's a it's a huge thing to get this extra mod pack on the server and everything. So I understand there's a there's a massive um, back uh, back end uh, thing to do with these. But I think maybe if some people understood the the staff's uh, stance on it and the reason for their stance, I think um, it'd help with uh, people's curiosity.
0: Yeah, absolutely yeah it's a, it's a it's a great question it's one i i brought up myself um to uh, with ben and james uh, just a couple of nights ago so uh, james or ben if you, if you want to uh, field that question go ahead
1: yeah it's a, it's a good one um i think it's also something we've slightly moved on maybe over time i don't know It'd be interesting to hear if over matt's uh, time in unit half, if our stance has changed cause, um, Obviously, what Zero said is true, but to some extent, uh, you have to go really broad. So, like when we look at things at Unistaff level, we're not looking at it on a mission by mission basis. We're looking at it as a what effect will this have in a year, two years time basis. It might might sound silly, but I mean we we've, we've been doing similar things to what, what Unitaf does, or in my case, and a lot of the original members of Unitaf, for you know for over ten years. So we've seen the death of Community after community, United Operations being one, you know, died. You know, been going ten years, died the other week. Um, so the reason why we're super cautious about things like Star Wars or and anything that's a little bit out there like that, and and to some extent, we had a similar thing with PvP. So about a year ago, we had someone who was really keen on doing PvP and on the face of it it seems like a really easy decision to make doesn't it um all right guys we want to do some pvp can we do it yeah sure no problem off we go um but we we take a bit of a step back and look at it like this which is if we do something completely different which pvp would be to to maybe what we do uh and people really enjoy it that's that's great and that's fantastic if they do but what we might end up doing is not doing some of the stuff that's actually worked really well for us And considering the fact we're doing 35 deployments a month at the moment, um, and people are are enjoying it, you know, AARs are better than they ever have been. Um, At an organization level, it's super important that we don't change the core value of, like, why we're here. So one of the bastions of UNITAF is, as I think Matt mentioned, like our missions uh, and the way they're made is quite unique. The fact that they're all co-op and all the other systems we've got, so when we look at things that are completely different, like World War II in Vietnam, does also fall into this category. And to some extent, uh, the, like the Christmas specials and the Halloween specials also, um, what we're really cautious of is doing something completely outside of the realm of what we do for two reasons. Um, the only reason we're so good at what we do, or you know, statistics say that you know people really enjoy our missions, is because we've done hundreds and hundreds of them. And we've got good solid after action reports you know something like if you printed off all the after action reports 5,000 of them, god knows how much play you'd use, so so we've got better over time at dealing with that, we we haven't got that for things like World War 2 which is why the World War 2 missions and the Vietnam missions, you know, they're not going to be as good as the current day ones because we haven't got that experience, and so the PVP one is like well our our approach is if you want to play PVP go, go and play with Friday Night Fight you know, they do it twice a week with hundreds of people. They're going to be better than us at doing it. And if we were to focus on PvP, it would dilute our ability to deal with uh, our core thing. So you could sort of apply that same logic to things like Star Wars, which is um, to do a single Star Wars mission will take more development time from us and from our mission makers and from our server administrators and all all of that than maybe 10 or 15 I'm picking a number out of the sky, but I guess you get the principle. Um, of our normal missions, we have really streamlined the process of making a mission to the extent that we can do as many as we do now, 800 slots a month. We're we're putting out the last three months, um, and if we start introducing new things like that, it may not saying it definitely will, but it may uh, have a adverse effect to though to our core offering, like what we're there to do. Which is why when we start Unitaf, we said it's a platform, it's not a unit. Um, And people can come here and play with what we do, and if they're interested in other stuff, you can go there. And I've no doubt for people that are super interested in Star Wars, and I know for a fact the the biggest and most active groups in armor now are Star Wars units. It's a huge thing. Um, I don't know if it's something I myself would be interested in, but it's... Uh, I guess we, we've done a lot of... Uh, what's the name of that theme that we've done for like Halloween and stuff? Uh, SCP, SCP Foundation. Yeah. So we've done like SC, SCP stuff before. And generally, it has been quite well-received. But I don't think it's too much of a detraction from our normal uh, stuff. The SOP is generally the same and stuff. So all we try and do with that and with World War Two and with Vietnam is just limit the frequency of it so that it doesn't, at a glance at the schedule, um dilute the wider offering of what we're doing. Um so in a broad sense I think that's our that's our sort of position on it.
3: So going forward do you think there's um gonna be an opportunity for uh doing specials uh every now and then uh, in these uh in these modded missions.
1: Yeah I mean we've We've approved an, an op at Christmas where we were all running around in blue Santa suits. I mean, I think there's definitely a, a little bit of scope. Um, and also, I think the other thing is we we've, we do so many operations now. Having a few more of these is not necessarily a detriment. I think our biggest concern is that we don't want the opinion from any line individual line member to be, uh, what's this? You know, I didn't sign up for this, which is true. No, it's not what I made UNITAF for. It's not what we made UNITAF for um so what we don't want to do is sacrifice uh our main focus what we're really really good at uh for something else uh, but on occasion and we have committed specifically with historicals i guess to one per month at the moment we're alternating um and we generally do specials for every festive season so easter uh, christmas so on and so forth so i think the simple answer is yes we just we just want to sort of have a little bit of rope on the frequency of it, so that it doesn't get uh, too overwhelming for people that aren't interested in it, because um, that may be the case that the majority of people just aren't interested in it.
0: Yeah, so I think maybe if if that is something that you're in, if it's something that you're super interested in, like James says, that there are other groups out there that 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 will do it better than we do it, and you know there's there's absolutely nothing stopping you from you know going getting your your Warhammer fix or your Star Wars fix from those places but um if you can you know like for example may the 4th would be a really good time to to try and push doing a a one-off star wars uh mission and i'm sure if, if you gained you know enough interest that that could be something that we could put on but yeah I, th- I think james you know james makes a really good point that you know unitaf is successful because we do what we do and we do it really well and if we start to do other things, then it, it does, you know, run the risk of of diluting what you know, what what we, what it is that we do, um, and then also, you know, for those people who who are are completely not interested in 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 that sort of stuff, they don't get anything out out of that. Yeah, there's definitely potential for it.
1: Yeah, there's definitely potential for it, and I think, I think, I think, I think for people that don't look at it as deep as we do, it's difficult to understand when we say, uh, no, we don't want to do a Star Wars op because it's interpreted as that individual operation that just one time, you know, most people would take, I guess, the view of, you know, what harm can one Star Wars up do, if, if you get me. Um, we're more looking at quite a serious level at the longevity of everything that we do and what effect uh, moving tracks or having multiple tracks running alongside each other. The same is an argument of why don't we also have DCS as a, a supported game, as an example these are all really, really big decisions that would attract the attention of us as staff and the wider um, contributors of UNITAP, including the org.co.c. And so you have to be really careful about that. And that, that's ultimately what we're here for, to make sure that, um, you know, and I always use the example of Google beat Yahoo as a search engine because it was just a search engine. If you ever go to Yahoo's website, you see shit all over the place. Um, you know, that's why. And so we've always tried to be very, very clear with Here's our offering. This is what we do. If you like it, come along. If you don't, there's 77,000 other units in this community that you can try out. But um, I think it mostly comes from that point of like what we call official. There's nothing really stopping anyone saying to people in your stuff, hey, shall we all gather around and do this? So in terms of like an official operation, we might apply a slightly different rule set to that, something that has an ORBAT, to maybe like one of the events that you see where it's just like, I'm going, I'm not going. So, depending on what people want to achieve like with these things, there might be easier ways of getting to those results without taking too much attention away from obviously what we call official deployments.
0: Do either of you, uh, Ben or James, have any questions for Matt in terms of uh, Zeus saying a mission developing?
2: Mm, yeah, I do.
0: Um,
2: what's been your most memorable uh, op as uh, either a Zeus or maybe a mission maker?
3: Oh God!
1: Ah, the twenty-two times you've been MVP. <laughs> There's so many. <laughs> uh,
3: it just one out of if I had to pick one up.
2: Yeah. Or do you know how many you've done in Utah? I know it's um, going to be a big number.
3: Quite a lot. Um, a couple that stand out, obviously being the uh, the specials, because um, it's nice to do something a little bit uh, a little bit different.
1: Hundred sixty-nine. You've done <laughs> <laughs> twenty-two MVPs.
3: I, I I really enjoyed uh working on Pavis. Um I think there's a few mm. missions in there that uh I really had a, a, a good laugh and a good uh, a good time doing. Um I, I think as a ca- a campaign overall uh, it was really really fun to do. There was there was the the one where uh, I forget which number it was, the, the mission where we attacked uh, the island on the west um that had the big research facility in it. And then there was a, hmm. uh, I mean, that was the one where I shot Wilson down for a Pavis Seven. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I remember it. Yeah, oh, that was a good one. Um, that's definitely up there. Uh, the specials are up there. Um, yeah, I think yeah, I'd say, say Pavis 7 is pretty high on that list. I, I could I could never say for, for uh, definitively what my favourite mission was, but uh, yeah, that that one's definitely up there. It was uh, I think just all in all. The way that it was executed by the field leader, the way that uh, the teams worked together, um, the mix of assets that we had was a uh,
0: was very nice. Yeah, I think that's it's an interesting interesting perspective as well that you ha- that you have on it. That um, your enjoyment from a mission developer or Zeus point of view is that the is from a player's point of view. You know that the the people on the ground executed it well, or that they had a good time, uh, as Absolutely. opposed to you know from you know. Uh, the uh, the enemy's perspective or from, you know, from a, a general overall mission developer, you know, it's, it's, uh, I think we can we try and sort of promote that as much as possible. I, I would say in UNICEF that, that you're kind of there to not necessarily ensure in terms of guarantee, but, but, the, but that you're there to, to provide a certain level of quality to, to the missions.
3: Yeah. I mean, as a GM and to an extent as a field leader as well, um, my favourite missions are always the ones that are rated highly, just not necessarily just that are rated highly, but that everyone had a good laugh on, that everyone enjoyed. Um, because it mm. just means that I've done my job effectively and uh generally if the players are having a good time, I'm having a good time as a GM. Um I mean there was that op uh they got the ten out of ten that I feel field led the a few days ago. That was a that was a really good time.
1: I had to get that in, didn't you?
3: <laughs> I had to get that <laughs> in at some point. Come on. Um well, there was the one. There was one in Paris as well. That Spec Ops one that we did with the STVs. That mm, what we fired like three shots did. in. Yeah, yeah, that was that was <laughs> fucking well executed.
1: Um, yeah, so that's so why I looked. Um, yes, yeah, is what Matt's referring to. Uh, hasn't been announced yet, but there's a essentially there's a medal for um, getting a perfect score in an op. But has to be a, a, a twen- twenty or larger all that Obviously, because the chances are much lower at that scale. The, only three operations out of four hundred. 50 odd deployments if you exclude FTXs because obviously they scored differently have ever achieved a perfect score and two, and two of those were 10 people or less of which one of them was the one you said where we did that sort of no shots fire which, which was a great mission it, it was just a small one uh, so yeah it's taken two years to get an op um, with 20 players or larger that achieves a perfect score which obviously is a great achievement for both the third leaders and the, um, and the GMs yeah so yeah um... I think
3: those uh I think there's a lot of room in the the spec ops ones for just having a really good time. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like I say, that that SDV one was uh, really really fun to GM. Just having the having the boats uh, going directly above you with the searchlights <laughs> on, and just just hearing you guys on comms just uh, fucking panicking when it goes right above you and stops. That was uh, yeah. that was a lot of fun.
2: The special forces stuff's always a always a good laugh. It's a lot of pressure, especially if you know you need to get in and out without being noticed. It's uh, it's always a lot of fun.
3: Yeah, very tense. Um
2: I think the biggest thing for you recently has probably been sort of the switch up. Um obviously when you joined UNITAF, you were pretty much went straight into GMing really. Um you, know, you must have done that for about a year. And now, obviously, we've got more people on board. We've got more GMs, more uh, mission makers and stuff. It's allowed you to sort of step back a little bit. And now, obviously, you've gone down the uh, field leading route uh, a lot more. Would you say you prefer it or you enjoy it just as much? Or what's your sort of take on field leading?
3: Um, I like I like the way that in UNITAF, uh, the field leaders work very closely with the GMs. Uh, well, the, the mission maker, uh, mission dev, uh, as far as... Working together to get a, to get a plan together that the players are gonna that gives the the players room to have a good mission uh, that provides a decent level of uh, challenge, but uh, also allows us to get a, a, the job done. I think field leading is uh, a, a good mix of uh, working at sort of an out of game perspective on. Here's this mission. We need to do it this, this and this way uh, with this stuff, um, and then getting into game, playing the mission itself, and uh, just sort of witnessing the plan come to fruition. Uh, very enjoyable, especially when you put like a quite a bit of. I mean, for some of these missions, um, it can be quite an awkward mission. It takes a bit of uh, uh, jockeying around to get a, a solid plan working that uh, that will work on the day. And I think uh, when that then works out on the day, um, just a pretty good feeling. There was a one in particular, uh, a Brimstone side mission where we had to uh, go and find and kill or capture three separate HVTs. Um, that was a that was a, that was a really good one because uh, it was I had to take a look at the terrain, I had to proper think about how I was going to approach each different objective. Um, in a way that allowed us to succeed, I think we did really well on it. Um...
1: So, uh, Ben asked the question I was going to ask, but um, which was <laughs> going from from obviously mission making. So, you've got a, a, almost a unique perspective because you've, you've base I don't think you filled led at all, um, maybe around the Pavis time, or well, certainly not to some extent. And obviously, you've gone almost full circle now, where you're platoon leaning but. I mean, I, I'm not familiar with what the wider community does now because we don't pay a whole lot of attention to it, to be honest. But when I started doing this 10 years ago, the dumb thing, obviously there was no Zeus. And what a lot of communities would have is like a bank of missions. And they would just, they on their game nights, if you like, they would just pl- replay them over and over. And occasionally there'll be a new one. But a lot of the time you'd be playing missions you've already played before. And it's sort of like playing a campaign from you know, like a first-person shooter where, you know, they've only modelled one path for you to take and you have to take it. One of the reasons, I guess, our system's set up this way is, um, and, and you you can see this from both sides now, which is we put a genuine emphasis on field leadership. And, you know, sometimes somebody will come up with a plan which is maybe less than ideal because uh, they're not very experienced or even experienced <laughs> among us come up with bad plans sometimes. And and it still gets executed as a both a field leader and a game master, because a lot of people that come from outside of our system struggle at first to understand why it's done this way. Um, Have you got any maybe examples of that from either side, or how have you seen that process of how we make missions change over time? Because it's obviously not the case that a mission maker says, "Here's my mission, and here's exactly what I want you to do and how I want you to do it." It's obviously a lot more. Uh, involved in that from both sides
3: yeah I think we've come to a point where it's um, a nice balance and it's quite fluid um, between the field leader and the mission dev Um, at first I mean when I first drawn Unitaf it was there was a lot less uh, in the sort of planning side uh, behind it I remember um, there was a few times where I was just like hey, uh, what a get a mission up, fancy German mission and we just sort of threw all that up, got a few people on and then worked out what we were doing well, I'd work out what we were doing in the background and then we just brief on the day and sort of uh, have at it but obviously now we've got uh, we've got the whole uh, separate uh, I mean, build the PBO and everything but um, plan the field leader who then plans his, uh, his squad leaders, uh, fighting leaders etc. Um, beforehand works in a big plan and uh, I think it's working really well because it just uh, it has like a nice structure and I think that contributes uh, a large part to the immersion and the backstory uh, that some thought has gone into how we plan this mission and how it's executed uh, I think we've come a long way uh, in the past year that I've been in the unit so uh, yeah it's obviously a very marked difference to the public Zeus as well that I was uh, I was doing before
1: yeah, definitely. I think it's it's always it's, it's obviously a system like most other systems that are constantly being changed. But it's always interesting to hear um, from from both sides because um, it's it's a very different way of looking at it. But it comes from a sort of core of development for both for both people, which is you know people people can't as a field leader like I I don't want to execute your plan just like you don't want to execute mine. You, everyone wants to have a say, um, and what a lot of people forget is. Uh, You know, we're not playing Call of Duty, single-player campaign. You know, in real life, stuff goes wrong all the time. And you have to give people enough rope to make those mistakes, to learn. And I think it would be a shame if we lost that um, in our system. And so it's it's good when campaign managers and game masters can see, you know, maybe they don't quite agree with what you're doing, but they let you execute anyway, because ultimately that's what it's all about. Good stuff.
0: Does anyone uh, have anything else?
1: Yeah, I've got one more. Go on then.
2: Um what do you think um your biggest challenge is when
3: either planning or Zeusing? Uh I think when in mission the players do something that is contrary to the plan or off script, I think it's a nice uh challenge. Um I think it, it it's nice to it's a nice test for GMs and their flexibility. Um with dealing with a situation that they're not ready for. Um, I think when something goes wrong in a mission, like for example, a mask has that you weren't expecting, uh, it's uh, it's a good way, it's a good challenge to have to think, okay, so where do we go from here and how do I make sure that this doesn't completely derail the mission and that people can come back from this in an enjoyable way? Um, yeah, I think mask are are probably the biggest the biggest uh, cause of uh, going off script. Yeah, um, definitely. So, uh, I think it's. I, I think every budding game master should uh, should have to witness and react to maskas, um, so that when it happens later on in their in their career, they're ready for it, and uh, especially if it's a bigger mission, um, you need to have a way to. Keep the players tense and involved without completely stepping off, um, yeah. and just leaving them to it. So, I think, uh, and obviously, it's heavily dependent on the situation and where they are on the mission. So, I was
2: going to going to say just on that is it's probably a, quite a difficult one. Um, trying to balance because um, obviously, if you have a mass cast, depending on the side, you know, you might have a squad down or, or near enough a whole squad down, um, which sometimes is is the only guys on the ground um so obviously if that happens that could completely um turn a mission on its head sort of thing and th- the hardest thing to do i guess is to make sure the guys still feel under pressure but at the same time you, they they don't want to feel um you've just sort of turned the enemies off sort of thing to allow them to recover
3: yeah precisely um and i think it's uh, it's definitely a fine balance i mean gm as a whole is always a balancing act um and I think it becomes even more of a tightrope walk when you uh, when you get a lot of guys down at once, and uh, you're having to you're having to sort of help get the mission back on track without making it obvious <laughs> that you're doing so, uh, but also uh, without Marley calling the players too much, because um, we need, I think, uh, and this is an all right thing with UNITAP as well uh, that we work on is uh, we need the challenge and we need the capacity to fail um and i think uh and this this comes into as well especially when the field leader decides that uh breaking contact or a fighting retreat is uh, the answer um that's happened a few times and if it's done correctly by the field leader and the gm um it can be a really a really good uh, uh scenario and situation to be in especially if it then affects the rest of the campaign that um Look, we you know we tried our best, but it wasn't necessarily good enough in this case. We perhaps made mistakes, uh, and I think it's a great situation to be in if it's done correctly. Um, I think the I think uh, the players often feel that there was a there was a time recently that we did one, um, and I forget I forget which campaign it was on. It was with I think I was
1: field leading and it was with Johannes. uh, Vertex in uh, southern town, I think maybe.
3: uh, We were in trees a lot and and field. It might have been days, but either way, yeah. uh, It was like within the last month or two, Um, we had to do uh, a fighting retreat, and we were taking casualties, and you know people were injured, and we were just sort of keep keep moving. Uh, we kept having to turn and, and fight at the same time and cover each other's retreat, and uh, I think it was a, a really good situation. Um, it was a really strong challenge, so I think mask has is and opening up the, the possibility for failure is uh, is can be a really good uh, situation to be in.
1: Yeah, no, I think we one of the things we've got good at, if you look historically, and one of the great things about our system is you you can go back literally to the start of time and see that month on month. Average after action reports, you know, have gone from like something like 70, mid 70%. Like it it wasn't uncommon in year one or in six months in to sort of have 75% AARs and we would consider that good. You know, now if we achieve under 90%, you know, nine out of 10 on average, that it's not frowned upon, but, you know, we have a very high bar now and occasionally we do have bad missions. We had a bad Daesh one, a no, GMs uh, a couple of weeks ago, but they're relatively infrequent. I also think, from one of the things you said before, it's really hard to gauge as a game master how the mission is going. From I think you touched on it earlier, like right, from the GM perspective, and being someone who also leads and GMs probably helps with that process to understand what it's like to be on the ground because everything is so much more mild, like the seriousness of, it of a mask has, or the intensity of combat is lost completely when you are not actually there, and it can really help sometimes to you know watch people's streams and things. I think I think the op you're on about there was, was that the dash one with the hot extract from the um, helicopters
3: yeah I think it was uh, I had to fight all the way back to uh,
1: Super Bowl LZ and and, uh, and get out I, I think, think that's that was a great very enjoyable. scored really highly if I remember like 97 maybe 95 but I mean that was never the plan for that op and I think that's one of the really interesting things which is to embrace those moments so like the op was never planned to go that way and you ended up retreating and I think it was completely forgot about it in the face of it, but it's probably one of the only times we've done a proper extract under contact. sort uh, of two helicopters sweeping in and there were literal BTRs firing over the top. I mean it was completely unscripted at any moment. That BTR could have took one of those helicopters out. Unfortunately it didn't. And I think everyone that was on that op, when they were flying off that L Z sort of realised how badly that could have gone and to recreate that i think would be impossible but i think a great sort of point to end on that maybe you pointed out i guess is that um that's maybe a thing that we can get better at is uh and it's a gm thing and it's also an affiliate thing is embracing when things don't go to plan and creating those sort of moments that people least expect because i think that's a great example of one absolutely
0: all right well i think that about wraps everything up uh, next time on TAFcast, we'll be looking at various aspects of leadership. I know we've touched on that a little bit tonight, but we'll go and uh, take an in-depth look at that with a uh, new special guest. Um, we'll also be approaching UNITAF's second birthday, so we can expect to see a lot of uh, in-depth retrospective and a look at just how much work has gone into UNITAF uh, to bring it to the point that it is. I've been Zero. These fine folks have been Ben, James and Matt. And as always, stay frosty.